Good morning, friends. This is Pastor Edwin Estevez, and I'm standing in the sanctuary of Grace Church in downtown Wilmington, Delaware, where I am currently the pastor. It's been a sad couple of weeks as I've said goodbye to this congregation, but it's also been a couple of weeks of excitement not only for me and my family, but also for this congregation as they are wishing me well and praying for me as we go uh, to Kirk in the Hills and I become the new assistant pastor for mission and outreach. So we're really excited about that. And I am honored uh, to be preaching on this first Sunday of Lent. As I reflect on the season of Lent, I think about the church using this for thousands of years now, pedagogically, but also spiritually to prepare, wrestle with, be challenged and changed by that holy week of Christ's passion when Jesus was crucified. And it makes me wonder, how is it that Christianity had any impact at all in our world? Think about it. Don't you usually start an organization or a movement based on someone who was really successful and powerful, who had a successful legacy? You see, before Jesus in first century Palestine, temples, monuments, festivals, they were all done in the name of powerful and successful leaders, gods and goddesses, pharaohs, not crucified Christs. And yet, since this story of the crucified Christ is at the center of our, of our faith, this one who completely surrendered himself into the hands of God, whom Jesus called Abba, Father, I believe it tells us something really powerful about our own lives here and now. There is a joyful seriousness in this task, and I don't want to offer you any easy answers or false reassurances, or niceties in the face of a pandemic, and political division, racial tension, and financial calamities, or the ongoing diseases like cancer and addiction. I want to, by God's grace, offer gospel truth. So will you pray with me? Let us pray. God, we are thankful on this day for the gift of life and the gift of our very breath. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would help this scripture come alive to us and bear witness to the living word made flesh in Jesus Christ, that we would be challenged and comforted and that we would never be the same. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. So friends, I want to offer this day gospel truth. So I suppose I could tell you an obvious but worth repeating point. God doesn't owe us a long life. How poetic of the psalmist to tell us about God weaving us together in our mother's womb. Listen again. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me 
when none of them as yet existed. No, God doesn't owe us a long life. God doesn't even owe us a happy one. Life itself, even when it's hard, seems to be a gift when compared to non-life. Each day, each year, all the truer in this pandemic. Moments with grandchildren, memories with mom, going out for a run or a bike ride with friends. Even if you fall off of your bike and get a concussion and then your friend's wife, who happens to be a nurse, helps you get back out there. Wait, is that just me, Pastor Nate? You know those moments, especially before the pandemic, the ones we really miss, festivals and outdoor concerts, or those sweet moments you've enjoyed during the pandemic, when everything was quiet for a time and you finally saw a bunch of kids playing outside. How long has that been? Or even Zoom parties, and no, they're not sponsoring any portion of this sermon, Getting to wish one another a happy Thanksgiving or a Merry Christmas on Zoom. Of course, it's nothing like in person. But goodness, didn't you linger a little while longer and maybe you heard your sister, your parent, your friend, your child for the first time in a long time. But while it's true that we're not owed in this some kind of social contract a long life or a, a healthy life or a fun and happy life. It's not the whole gospel truth. We don't serve a God who simply says, sorry, my children, I don't owe you that. Just look on section 4B, paragraph 3, article 2. It'd be like saying to your children, sorry, kids, I've already given birth to you. I've even fed you. I don't also need to provide clothing or a home. As much as some of you might be tempted to discuss it, especially when they get older and know everything and cost a lot, that wouldn't seem very loving, would it? No, the God of love has made promises. In fact, scripture does tell us that God has made a covenant with God's people, with you and me. God has said that we will be provided for in Jesus Christ, the ultimate fulfillment of that covenant, God seeking relationship with us. So it makes sense that we could lament when life doesn't go well, that in fact, we have permission to. If we read the whole of the Psalms, we read the lament ones crying out to God, begging for deliverance. Even in Psalm 139, there are pieces of it. If I made my bed in shale, or another translation, pit of the dead, or in the pit of hell, surely the darkness shall cover me. This can only come from someone who knows about pain and loss, suffering and death. The scriptures tell us we have permission to grieve and to weep just as the psalmist does. But that's still only some of the gospel truth. There's still more. We have permission to ask for God's help, to ask for healing, to pray for one another. What would be the point of complaining if we couldn't be healed? What would be the point of all those healing stories in scripture? And frankly, there are beautiful stories we've heard of God's healing power. You know some of those stories. In my family, it's the people whose tumor inexplicably went away. Those are miracles. 
But not only those kinds of miracles. Have you ever met a healed heart? I know I have. Siblings who weren't on speaking terms, breaking the ice. Spouses reconciling. Black and white, rich and poor, a, div a diverse community coming together to address a little girl who had been shot. That is the beginning of healing. And that's no small miracle. You know something about that. That's also gospel truth that we can ask for help, but that's still not the whole gospel truth. Yes, you're not owed a long life or even a happy and healthy one. You're encouraged to grieve, to wrestle with faith and doubt as the psalmist does. You're encouraged to ask God for help, for healing, and you're not alone. That's gospel truth. The psalmist writes, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me fast. I come to the end. I am still with you. You can't outrun God's pursuit even if you try. No isolation, pandemic-induced, self-induced or otherwise, can keep you from God. There you are, O oh God. There your hands hold me fast. You are not alone. And this is the moment in the sermon when I picture myself there in the pew or in these virtual times, there in front of my device, the computer, the laptop, the phone, whatever you're on, listening to the preacher. And in some seasons of my life, that would have been enough. I'm not alone. God is with me. But my friends, there are other seasons. Seasons in which I need to know more than that. I need to know, okay, I'm not alone, thanks, but what does it matter if those who I still love suffer or that my life seems meaningless or that there's this still this great injustice in the world? There are still hungry kids in Pontiac, Pastor Edwin. There are, there are still women being trafficked and drugs being sold and sleazy deals being made by business leaders or politicians. No, Pastor Edwin, you don't understand. I, I am being sued. My, my company is being sued for something frivolous. My reputation is on the line. I need to know something else entirely. So here's some gospel truth for you from two stories. Author J. Todd Billings, a professor who wrote the book, Rejoicing in Lament, Wrestling with Incurable Cancer and Life in Christ, wrote this in light of his 2012 cancer diagnosis. I was not given a magical answer as to why God allowed my cancer to hit me. I still don't know what the future holds. But the Psalms have paid a path for me to rest in the hands of the Almighty, delighting in his work, even when it is strange work, hard work on the road of suffering. At the center of God's revelation is not a secret about how to live a lengthy, self-sufficient and secure life, but how to follow in the way of the crucified Jesus at the center of our faith. 
and it's not a joyless path. He continues, instead, when we follow the path of prayer with the psalmist, we shed tears of joy and celebration as well as tears of lament, which runs counter to our consumer culture. Rather than soaking in self-satisfaction or self-pity in these seasons of sorrow, we find our affections reshaped by God, woven intricately together, knit in the darkness, in the wounds, my words. He writes, we delight in what delights God. We grieve over what grieves him. It is a joy that is bigger than cancer. Wow. In his diagnosis, the professor's asking meaningful questions. How is my suffering connected to the suffering of others? What else do I need to grieve about that grieves God so that I can grieve with God? And what are the joyful things in the world? How can I rejoice with God and with others? Sorrow and joy go together. Sorrow and a joy that is bigger than cancer. That's what the professor's getting at. That's gospel truth. But there's still more, and this from the mouths of babes, for my beautiful niece, Alana, when she was four years old, she would sometimes be afraid of monsters in her room, so she'd rush to her mother, unable to sleep, asking for her protection to make them go away. My sister tried explaining, like any adult would, facts and data, the reality. There are no monsters. It's just your imagination. But nothing she said seemed to work. Not even repeatedly telling her, I love you, I'm with you, I'll keep you safe. So finally, my sister exasperated, told Alana to pray so she could self-soothe and my sister could finally get some sleep. And as they went to pray, Alana, my niece said, Jesus, please make me brave. My sister didn't teach her that. I don't know if my sister teared up, but I did when she told me that story and I'm tearing up a little bit now because what I find so powerful is that she didn't pray for Jesus to take the monsters away. She didn't even pray for magical powers or a show of divine power, but simply that Jesus would make her brave. And now when she's anxious about school or meeting new people or traveling, wherever she goes and whenever she's afraid, she prays, Jesus. Please make me brave. G.K. Chesterton, whose quote is on your bulletin, writes, Fairy tales do not tell children the dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children the dragons can be killed. The story of our faith, Lent and Easter, the story of the passion of Christ, the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior and his new life again, is that actually there are monsters. Those monsters are all sorts of heavy and crushing things like poverty in Pontiac and kids being shot, COVID deaths and cancer, losing your spouse or your daughter, Injustice, 
disasters like winter storms and earthquakes. And no facts and no data, no reality checks from the realists and scientists can convince us otherwise because we know, you and I know deep down inside, there are monsters, there are dragons, but Easter is about the defeat of monsters and dragons. God is bigger than dragons. God's love, our relationship with God, God's covenant is bigger. And God can defeat dragons. And that our call is just to be brave enough, or as would have been said in older times, to hold fast. Hold fast. Today's text tells us, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me becomes night, even the darkness is not dark to you. There are dark days ahead. There are dragons to be faced. And the promise is God will hold us fast secure, fasten us to God's love. And our call is to be brave enough to hold fast to the love of God. It's more than just presence. It's the ultimate defeat of what ails us, what ails our world. To borrow the words of a famous movie you might know, maybe not today, Maybe not tomorrow, but someday. Nay, scripture says one day, evil and death, poverty, injustice, violence, yes, even death, will be defeated. And there will be a new world. That's the promise. Will you hold fast and trust God's promise to hold you fast? Be brave enough to trust Brave enough to remember the story together in community. Brave enough to encourage your friends to hold fast. Brave enough to serve meals at Lighthouse and tutor kids at Accent Pontiac and help fund education in South Africa and help launch some life-changing social enterprises in Guatemala and share some love in Maine. Be brave enough to look at the dragons in our midst and not pretend like we're not afraid, but not to let them dictate our lives, our peace, our joy. Brave enough to ask the great questions along with the professor, how can I make a difference? How can I be a good parent? How can I support my spouse, mentor kids for transformation, be an ethical employer, a change-making leader? How can I pursue my dreams and make the world a little better? How can I grow in community, in faith, hope, and love? How can I love more deeply and follow in the way of the crucified Christ? The story of Lent and Easter is that suffering and loss, death and dragons don't have the last word. For now, joy and lament go together in our lives. We cry out out of the beds we've made in shale, the pit of the dead, in hell, 
And we face the world, even the insurmountable dragons of poverty and violence and injustice and the inevitable fact of death. But we do so as brave people of God, trusting the promise that God will hold us fast in Christ Jesus. So friends, hold fast in the name of Christ. Amen.